Hello, and welcome to In Her Room, women writers on life, craft, and changing the world. I'm your host, Sarah Blackthorne. This week's guest is Maya Stein. Not every writer would hop on a bicycle towing a vintage typewriter and ride 1,200 miles for her 40th birthday. And most wouldn't do it again a few years later, this time on a tandem bicycle carrying two typewriters. But Maya Stein isn't just any writer. She is a magic maker, a poetry hunter, a feral hairstylist, and a woman who believes in showing up to what is real and sharing it through her words. From her Ten Line Tuesdays to her Gypsy Caravan mod, she brings trust, whimsy, and a dose of honest love to everything she creates. Maya, it is so great to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here. I'm really happy to be here, Sarah. Thank you. I'm so excited that you said yes, because I'm looking forward to talking with you about writing and life and the creative journey that you have been on as a writer and also as a teacher and a mentor. Sounds good to me. <laughs> those are some big, those are some big topics. <laughs> I think, I think we can manage them. Okay. To start, I'd love to know what is writing to you? Um, well, I had actually a really, uh, wonderful, uh, so email exchange with a writing student of mine um, who said, who made the discovery that writing was a way for her to understand what she believed. Um, and I just thought that was so perfect because I don't know that I'd, I'd ever really, I'd ever really articulated my relationship. Like what is, what do I use writing for? What is writing to me? And I think for me, that's, that's probably the most, accurate is is that writing is a way for me to understand how I feel what I believe how I think what matters to me I think that's probably it's actually quite simple I think because it's I mean it you know there are times when of course it's therapeutic and cathartic but ultimately um I think writing lets me examine the the subtler you know the darker like less and I don't mean darker as in sadder I just mean darker as in less visible um the less visible places in my own heart or my own mind um and it lets me somehow access them in a way that that's uh you know that's just that has its own it has its own language you know you don't have I don't have a conversation with someone in the way that I would write a poem um but I think they're equally true of who I am. So, you know, writing is, is an extension of my, my thought process, my feeling process. And it's really a way for me to see something from, from a different vantage point that's actually quite, you know, that's without all the noise of, of everything else. It's a very, it can be such a clear pathway to understanding. Hmm. I think that's really important to recognize the, it's interesting. I've heard a lot of people say, uh, write how you speak or write the way that you speak. Mm -hmm. And you bring up that difference in the way that you have a conversation with someone isn't necessarily how you write, but that both of those are equally important. And I think they're both facets of your voice as a writer. Right. Yeah. I think they can be, you know, they're equally authentic in terms of, you know, I I think it's, I, sometimes I think people make do, you know, try to sound if when they're writing something, they try to sound different or they think that it should sound different or it should feel, you know, they, they need to be more literary about how they approach the subject. And it's, it's kind of a fine line because, um, you know, sometimes we we're so, when we write, we can be so you know, and if we're trying to trying to write that way, like like to sound as if <laughs> we're writing, um, then we can get a little further away from how we really feel or how what we really believe because we're we're trying to sort of work the language um, around the subject 
And so it's, you know, I think that's what's probably so challenging sometimes with writing is how, how close, like I talk about it as sort of being close to the bone. How do you get close to the bone of your experience through words? And, you know, that's kind of what I always have in mind is how close am I to really telling it like it is telling it how I feel, um, how, you know, just it's, it's, it's really about intimacy with experience and intimacy with feeling and thought. And so I don't think it needs to be complicated, but in some ways writing simply is one of the hardest things to do. Um, you know, paring down our language in such a way that we're, we're expressing the, the sort of purity of what we mean. Um, so it's not, it's not easy. I think, you know, when I, sometimes when I read, you know, really a wonderful book, um, you know, novel, I love reading novels because I think, um, they're such a great way to, you know, it's like you're seeing a life, uh, you're seeing a story of a life that's not true, but it sort of needs to sound true. It needs to sound like this is a real person. This is a real character. And these are, you know, his or her real life circumstances. And so I think um, reading fiction to me is actually has been a great tool to write from, you know, write from real life. Mm -hmm. And also, I think for some, there is that experience of reading and writing fiction that allows us to explore thoughts and places that we might not have access to or might be afraid to access in our sort of everyday lives well sure I mean I you know there's a lot of there's a kind of danger in telling the truth and um this is I mean I this is sometimes an issue with people who are trying to write about something that's, that happened to them or, you know, they're writing from real life that, you know, who are they going to hurt and who, and who will be affected by how they say it. And I think um, that's probably one of the biggest um, writing blocks that people have is how can I tell the truth without, without hurting anybody um, or without jeopardizing myself. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think sometimes fiction is a great way in to exploring a real life circumstance, um, through another character, through another voice. But I also think that that self editing, you know, that not telling the truth, you know, out of a fear of, um, being hurtful is, or being hurt, um, is really not, is, is sort of a disservice to the stories that need to be shared. I think that there's so many people who can be, um, transformed by the stories that we tell and that who, who can be moved and, and motivated by, by hearing other true stories that, that they can relate to. So to not bring those stories into being and not, you know, not share those stories is, you know, there's, there's a real loss there. So, I mean, I think I've put, sometimes, you know, I probably overstepped the bounds a little bit in terms of, well, you know, like using real names or, you know, being so, being so specifically true about an experience and writing about it that, um, you know, it's very vulnerable. It's very sort of naked feeling, but ultimately I think that it's done really in service of, um, bringing that story forward out of the, you know, out of the shadows. Um, and, uh, learning to withstand the discomfort. I mean, there's so much there about, uh, just managing a personal discomfort and, and being in revealing something or, um, telling the truth. It's, it's like, you can't really have one without the other. So I've just, I've just learned to withstand the discomfort a little bit better over the years. Hmm. <laughs> and also, you know, found other tools and other ways of telling stories that, you know, aren't, um, you know, they're not going to be libelous or, you know, intentionally hurtful to anybody. It's, um, you know, you sort of, this is the, you know, this is the beauty of like creative nonfiction where you can tell a true story, but you can alter the, you can alter the, you know, the actual details of it and still 
and still stay true to the story. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the the real gifts of specifically creative nonfiction um, in that that discovery of personal narrative to be able to translate our lived experiences true as they are into sort of a greater wisdom so we're not just retelling an experience but we're sharing the lesson of that but not detracting from the truth by needing to call it fiction exactly exactly yeah and I think that can be um I don't know I mean I guess that's why I also love poetry you know for the same reason is, is it's a way of um you know finding language to tell a story that has more room in it for other people to enter. Mm. I think that's, um, you know, sometimes when things are so specifically personal and so, you know, like my, you know, there's so much minutia that's connected to the personal story that it, it's a tough, um, balance, I guess, you know, to have, you know, how much, um, you know, how much do you tell and how much do you leave room for somebody else to sort of find themselves in your story? So, Um, it's just, I think it's like practice over time. You, you, like, I've kind of, I would say I've, I'm discovering, I mean, I keep discovering that, you know, the, the closer I get to, um, I mean, there, there, it's like, I need to be specific. I can't, I can't be telling a universal story without sacrificing my own story. So, I mean, I have to be personal and I have to be um, intimate with the details, but it's figuring out which ones are really crucial and which ones are just because I feel like, oh, I, this, I need to, I need to include this, this, like the story wouldn't be the same without it, or I'm so attached to that particular aspect of the story. But sometimes you just, you know, I need to step back and say, well, what's, what's really serving the story here? Is this detour, um, really vital? Does it, does it add to the reader's experience, um, in terms of their understanding? Um, or am I just so attached to like that particular thing, um, that I have, you know, I can't stand leaving it out. And that's usually the first thing that needs to go. So it's, Mm. um, you know, when I work with, with my writing students, um, I can, I can tell by now which, you know, even which words they're attached to. And um, so one of the things I do in my classes is I kind of like highlight the area, like, you know, I bold the parts of the, um, you know, the writing that really feels strongest to me and feels the most compelling. And, and, you know, I'll make notes around the sections where I, where I say, um, you know, this, this feels like it's not serving the story. It's, it's a peripheral detail on it and I can I can see that you're you really want to tell it you know you really want to include it but like take a read through this passage without it and see if you miss it and I think that's the um like for me when I'm looking at my own work and editing my own work I I do I definitely you know read my work out loud and 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 take you know and just practice like you know is this is this excerpt you know that I thought that I thought was so vital um what happens when I don't include it what does it what does it feel like am I missing it Mm. and the answer is usually no I'm not (laughs) yeah you mention um both creative nonfiction and poetry you've been publishing a poem a week 10 line Tuesdays for almost 10 years now and I would love to hear you talk a little bit about the experience of restricting yourself to those 10 lines and how that influences the way that you write, not just those poems, but all of your writing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's such a, it's been such a valuable practice uh, for, for writing and in life. I mean, like, you know, it's, talk about, you know, figuring out what's essential to the piece or, you know, what's essential to the story. I've got these 10 lines and they, and they have to, I mean, you know, the page breaks, um, the, you know, the, the page widths will naturally break the line. So if I go over, (laughs) then I, I, you know, I, I have to, I'm really bound. I feel like this has been such a great, um, exercise in, 
really slimming down. And so, um, and it's finding, you know, what's, you know, it's like underneath the complexity and the collision of so much, you know, in, cause I'm writing from real, essentially I'm writing from real life and I'm, and so like when, once I sift through all the details and sift through the experience, what's the essential piece here that really matters and, and has really moved me. Um, and so it's about honing in on the, on the smaller moments and the smaller details and, um, kind of look, looking at the essence of something. And I think that's been really helpful in a life practice too. Like when, you know, there's so much going on, there's so many, you know, we can be so, uh, pulled and pushed in various directions. And, um, so sometimes I, I think, well, you know, when I'm in the midst of all of that clamor, you know, what's, what, what's really important, what's really mattering and what's sort of just a distraction. And I think, you know, it, it takes, it takes time and, um, I guess some discipline because sometimes it feels like everything is happening at once or everything is of equal importance and everything is, is calling with the same urgency. But, um, you know, when we actually take a moment and say, well, what's, what really needs to happen right now? What's really, what's really important, what needs to be done and what is, you know, or, or, or how can we, you know, condense some of the, you know, can we, can we kill two birds with one stone? Can we, um, can we do that task while we do the other task or can we eliminate a task because it's not ultimately that important? So, I mean, the 10 line practice, I mean, I also love it because each week it's kind of like my little island, you know, it's my way of kind of, or, or getting off the island or something. It's like, um, it's kind of a, to me, it's the very stabilizing, uh, clarifying mo uh, block of time that I, that I really take a deep breath and I, and I'm sort of sifting through the, the stories of the week or the stories of the moment and, you know, just devoting um devoting my attention to one thing and that can be you know that's really a gift I think that it really is hard to devote oneself to one thing um we don't usually have that luxury but I you know once a week for however long it takes to to write these because sometimes they do take a few hours um I I just know that that's my time that's my space and that you know I get to share it with other people is really makes it so so much more meaningful also because it feels like I'm, I'm I'm sort of sharing that experience of isolating um time and space for for one for one thing and I you know when people write back to me sometimes when after they read these 10 line Tuesdays they they also say this felt like I got a chance to breathe for a second um so that's mm. I don't know. That's a really wonderful kind of connection to have made. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't, you know, it's kind of amazing to me that it's almost 10 years because I didn't really think of it as something that was going to continue. I, I started it in June of 2005 and it, I really thought it would be like a year, like a practice mm -hmm. for a year. Um, and so I'm glad I landed on something that was so manageable because it really has very naturally um, extended. You know, it's like I didn't, I haven't, I really never wanted to stop. I never thought, oh, I'm, I'm done writing these. In fact, I, I think the practice of doing it for all this time has, um, I, I mean, you just, I, you naturally just get better at something the more you, the more you try it. So I feel like I look at some of the early. 10 line poems and I can see that I'm scratching the surface and I, I think I'm much, I'm much more efficient now of getting to like, what's the, what's the heart of the matter here. So I don't know. It's, I'm really, it's like a constant, it's like a companion, mm -hmm. you know, I get to have this companion once a week and that's really pretty awesome. <laughs> it is. I'm curious. You have taught both online and in person uh, workshops that you have called feral writing. And I'm wondering if those came out of this 10 line practice or grew in tandem with it. Um, yeah, it definitely grew out of the 10 line practice. And I think that, um, 
I mean, the name feral writing is sort of a, also a take on, uh, I used to love um, cutting, well, I still do. I love cutting people's hair and I used to cut my own hair and my friend Sherry would, she, she said, um, you know, this is like, you're like a feral hairstylist because I don't have, you know, I don't have a license and I don't have actual like schooling or experience doing it, but it's something that I just loved to do. I would sort of see people's, I, I could, I don't know. There was just a way of seeing someone's hair and wh where I thought they would, they could go with it. And it, it's kind of like, um, you know, chipping away at a block of marble or something and to see what's, to see what's, what happens when you, when you take away, um, it's a process of elimination. So, um, feral writing was, it's really kind of about wild. I mean, it's sort of like wild writing, but it's, um, it's letting, you know, it's the idea of it is sort of like what happens when we, when we return to that place of, um, discovery and exploration and wonder with, our creativity, um, you know, so much that we get told is, you know, um, like to rein that stuff in, you know, to rein that part of you in that wants to kind of go free. And so I think that's a real inhibitor for a creative person or a creative practice that, you know, we need to have a place where we are just kind of in a state of investigation and learning and kind of like weed you know weed whacking so that's that's really what feral writing started off as being and and it's kind of evolved into um several classes and several other offerings where but the but the essential the essential meaning is the same which is you know when we let the reins when we, when we let the reins go, where do we, where do we go to? Um, when we, when we, uh, you know, when we're not bound by, oh, this is what needs, you know, this is what you need to do, or this is what it needs to sound like. Well, what, what's your sort of true voice? What's your, where, where are you drawn to go? Um, so that's, that's really the, you know, philosophy behind these, these classes. And I, it's, you know, it's great because I think the, the experience that people have is really about dismantling their beliefs um, and kind of forgetting what they learned so they can really be true to who they are and what they really want to express. And so that's, you know, that's kind of a, I, I guess that's what I love seeing is when people have this aha moment, like, Oh, everything I thought I knew or everything I was told or everything that I, believe to be true about myself, I can reinvent. Mm. And that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I think that's some really great wisdom to remember. And I'm curious if there is a piece of advice that you carry with you that's sort of the best advice you've ever received. Well, I have this, um, I have this really powerful memory of um, going to Quebec when I was 12 with my dad. And I remember we were sitting at this like fountain. It was the summer. And uh, there was this girl there who had was basically like probably like, you know, I would say goth. I mean, I you know, in my, my current understanding of what she was wearing and what she looked like. I mean, she was dressed all in black. She had sort of the spiky um, you know, dyed hair, like it was purple and she just, you know, there are all sorts of like accoutrements that she was wearing. And, you know, she looked so different from me. She was probably like maybe two years older than I, than I was at the time, but she just had found this like personal style that was, you know, really kind of out there for me. And I remember like looking at my dad and saying, wow, she's weird. And she, and my dad said, she's not weird. She's just different. Mm. And she's like, because I, it, he, what he heard in my voice was she's weird. And therefore she, there's something bad about weird, you know? And he said, no, she's, she's just different. And that really, you know, like <laughs> having that sort of like turn of understanding and perspective of like, like it's like weird is not bad. 
Um, I think that's, that's the sort, it's not really advice, but it's more like a, like a reminder, like weird isn't bad. So the things that, you know, matter to you might be different than what matters to somebody else. The way that you express yourself might be different than someone else. Um, you could feel totally isolated and, and, you know, and, you know, I don't know, like there's, but it's not bad. It's just different. And so I think it, that's really about compassion. That's about embracing difference and um, welcoming change and, you know, seeing the kind of wonderful palette of expression that people have and, and have access to and letting myself, um, giving myself permission to continue to find my own way of expressing myself. I mean, it's like that, I think at the time I thought, oh, this is what I should look like, or this is like the way that I was felt like this, these are my parameters of, of, of what's, what I can do. But I think seeing that girl, you know, I saw, wow, this is, this is like somebody who's really out there. And, you know, she, here she is like wandering the world, just like me. Um, so I think just that one little moment of experience that exchange with my father, um, it just opened me up to the possibility that <laughs> there were options, that there are options, there are always options. And that just because you, you know, land on something that, that seems out there or unusual or not conventional, um, it does, it should not inhibit you from continuing to, to explore why that matters to you and what that means to you. And, and, you know, I, I think that sort of found its way in so many of the projects I've done. I mean, that idea of embracing difference and embracing the weird and really following it through, like, what is it like, if you're really going to own this experience or, or own this expression, um, how can you, how can you share it and how can you, uh, how can you, you know, make it meaningful to yourself and, you know, how can you really occupy it fully? Your response makes me think of some of the projects that you have done in the last uh, 10 years, things that other people might consider weird or out there, um, which are also in some ways about embracing the sort of weird and different of others around you. You went on this cross-country poetry tour and um, in 2009 called Tour de Word and you wanted to meet your readers. And I think I get the sense that that experience really inspired Typewriter, which was your original bicycling journey from Amherst, Massachusetts to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, carrying a typewriter behind your bicycle, and then also Typewriter 2, the tandem poetry tour, which took you from Colorado to Wisconsin. And I'd love to hear more about where those ideas came from and how they changed you both as a writer and as a human being. Um, I mean, the I think that, uh, you know, the, the tour to word definitely was, came out of, um, a desire to connect with people that were writing, that were reading my poetry. Um, cause I was, you know, they were largely anonymous to me. I didn't, you know, I had a small group of people on my mailing list that I didn't know, but there were people that signed up for my 10 line Tuesdays, um, who I didn't and, uh, and largely didn't, you know, it was like 75% of the people that were reading my poems each week, I didn't know. So that I really wanted to like connect with them because they were learning, you know, they were finding out so much about, about me and I didn't, you know, and I was getting, you know, responses here and there about these poems, but I was just, yeah, I was sort of curious about what happens when you kind of dismantle the space that the screen, you know, gives you, you know, that, that, that veil of anonymity or, or just, you know, like this space that exists behind the screen. And I was curious about what happens when you cross, when I cross it. And I think that, uh, 
you know, the other projects too, because they're very sort of like in, you know, this is about getting up and up close and personal with, with people. This is about stepping away from the, you know, technologies and, um, and the screens and all the, all the ways that, you know, you can be separate and, and feel separate from, from someone else. Um, so, I mean, in terms of the way that they've changed me, I think that they've just remind, they reminded me that it's, you know, there's nothing that replaces an in-person experience in terms of getting to know someone else and feeling known by someone else. And, you know, there's also this wonderful array of feelings and emotions that come out of being in person with someone, which is, you know, like sometimes the discomforts or sometimes the embarrassments or, um, you know, but also the great joys and the, and the sort of the awe and wonder of meeting someone who you don't know, but, but can know in very short order. Um, so I just sort of, I feel like it's an interest, like, I think sometimes the projects, um, I, I, I see that they're a real blend of it. These would only have been really possible through technology. I mean, I didn't, you know, if I didn't have a 10 line Tuesday mailing list, I wouldn't have had a tour to word project. Um, and, you know, if we didn't have, uh, you know, ways of sharing the, the typewriter trip and plant, you know, if we didn't have Kickstarter, which is how these fund, these projects were funded. If, if there wasn't like a way to access a larger community through technology, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have been successful. Um, and they may not have happened. So I, I'm, I guess what I'm learning is sort of like finding that interplay between technology and, and analog uh, experience and how to find, find a balance there so that my life doesn't disappear behind the screen, but that I continue to push myself to have in-person experiences and to connect with people through creative means. Um, you know, I think it's just great to, it's important to uh, be with people where they are just as much as being with yourself where you are. I mean, I think I've just learned so much about other people by being like, by, by traveling to where they are taking myself out of my own backyard, um, to really come face to face with, you know, what's really important and what's, you know, what's really, uh, you know, what's really interesting about the world too. So, um, I don't know. I think the projects that I'm continue to do are evolve out of that, you know, wanting to, um, you know, like in some ways ex be, be much more exposed, um, to the elements, whether they're literally the elements of, you know, cycling outside, um, or just the elements of my own, like, this is, like, who am I when I'm not in my living room? Um, so I think, I think that's been a really important, continues to be a really important discovery. And you continue to take creativity and writing and poetry on the road through your collaboration with your partner in life mm -hmm. and creativity, Amy Tingle. You created Food for the Soul Train with your decked out caravan mod. And <laughs> I'd love to hear how that collaboration was created and what mod and those workshops mean for you as a writer and as a mentor. Um, well, we, you know, we sort of found our way together. It's a very long story, but ultimately um, I will condense it just to say that I, I fell in love. We fell in love. And uh, Amy is an, is a wonderful artist and teacher. Um, and we started uh, collaborating um, with our, with our classes. I started bringing writing, you know, prompts and writing exercises into her art classes. And she sort of infused some of my writing experiences with her, um, with some art instruction. And so it just felt like a really natural fit to work together um, for some of these things. And, we were uh, we were in in Decatur, Georgia, for the um, annual book festival there, 
and fat were found ourselves uh, like we were there were a bunch of food trucks that were offering food there and um, I don't know just something hit about you know what happened like could we um, you know could we have like a mobile um, creativity space could we have a, a roving classroom um, where we could house our our offerings and um, or that would allow us to travel and to bring our, our classes elsewhere. We were really just inspired by the idea that, you know, there's the kind of like, this is the, the food truck was like a hub of, of connection um, and, and creativity really. And so we ended up sort of scouring the internet for campers for sale. And we found one in Massachusetts and spent a summer um kind of re revitalizing it and turning it into, you know, have we had some cushions sewn and the flooring redone and we had, you know, a couple of things that were added to it and just sort of spruced up. And um, we kind of saw it as like the ice cream truck uh, in terms of like this picture of, a, you know, the ice cream truck, you know, roving, you know, the neighborhood and that sound that comes out of, you know, that jingle that comes out of the ice cream truck and people know that something good is coming around the corner. And so we were kind of inspired by that too, that idea that, you know, that the camper could sort of symbolize it, you know, could also, you know, it could be a literal like classroom, but it could also symbolize, uh, it just could symbolize creativity and, you know, could be kind of our mascot for, for the business. Um, we ended up, we, so we started food for the soul train in 2013. Um, and we've kind of, you know, evolved into a number of offerings that I just, I never would have imagined, um, doing on my own. And probably, you know, it's just, it's really nice <laughs> to have a partner who, um, shares my love of adventure and creative connection. And so, um, I mean, that's, that's kind of a, that's a unique, um, I mean, I realize how lucky I am to have that because we, we, uh, you know, the conversations that we have in life and in our business, they just overlap and there's a wonderful sense of continuity, um, between what we, what we do in our lives and what we do in our business. Um, so I don't know, it's, like I never, I never really expected, I think I probably always dreamed of having somebody who, who could share my love of, you know, some of these unusual things and never really imagined that I could find such a person. Mm. Um, so I'm, you know, like, it's just been an incredible experience to have, to have her alongside me for, you know, the, the tandem poetry trip that we took this past summer was like it was pretty phenomenal I just to be able to write poetry next to her and um and to have her you know to have Amy just share the love of the experience just as much as as I did uh I I just think I mean it doesn't work for everybody you know not everybody is suited to having a creative partnership with their life partner um and so I'm I'm just I'm glad that I can, um, you know, we're continuing to f discover like what, what can we do together? What matters to us together? What, you know, what parts do we need to sort of individuate or keep separate and, you know, making sure that we're each attending to, you know, to what, what we need. Um, so I don't know, it's, it, it's fairly new. I mean, in terms of you know, we've only been up and running for two years and we've been married for less than one. <laughs> so, so I'm, I think that we're, you know, we're in a pretty big learning curve right now. And the two of you together are teaching a workshop this summer in Vermont called Spoke and Word, which is, um, I love the play on that and how you are bringing cycling into this workshop. I'd love to hear more about it. Sure. Well, we, uh, when we came back from the typewriter trip this past summer, we, you know, we really loved the, you know, the daily rides that we took, you know, that we, that's how we got around. We, we rode a tandem bike from Boulder to um, Beloit. And um, we, you know, there were, we had a lot of people say, oh, we wish we could come with you or, 
um, there was, you know, there was a sort of desire, I think, that came out of that for people to experience what it's like to travel, you know, do a little traveling by bike, by bike, and see the, you know, see part of the country by bicycle, and take that sort of leisurely pace. And so we, um, we came up with spoken word as a, it's a five, uh, five day, uh, four night cycling retreat, but it's not really a cycling retreat, and it's you know we're gonna take sort of short daily rides, um, where we're staying from where we're staying, but it's also um a creativity retreat. Uh, that the mornings are gonna be you know the rides that we'll take. Um, we're gonna our home base is Pittsfield, Vermont, which is a really gorgeous, uh, little town at the foot of the Green Mountains, um, and uh, we'll take you know sort of short daily excursions and. The afternoons will be devoted to creative writing and art activities that we'll that we'll have available. Well, we're staying in a beautiful inn called the Amy Farm Lodge, and there's some wonderful space to kind of you know stretch out and and have some great kind of workshop space. So I mean, what we're hoping is we're really trying to um, you know encourage people that don't have uh, any you know, that are beginning writers or something. It's not, it's really not an athletic retreat. It's not, uh, we're not, you know, going to be sweating our butts off here. This is really about taking that leisurely pace um, and slowing down to explore our surroundings. And we'll be using our surroundings as uh, as creative inspirations. I think that, you know, we're going to be stopping, taking photographs and, you know, doing things outside that, that will kind of reflect the the space that we're in and um hopefully you know people will be will be really inspired by the surroundings um there it's going to be you know it's june it's going to be happening in june and and so that's a just a beautiful beautiful time to to be in vermont as everything's green and sprawling and uh it's just so quiet and peaceful there so that's kind of what we're hoping is that that peace and quiet will will really pave the way for some great creative exploration. Mm. It's a really small retreat. It's um we've got uh, a total of fifteen spots to get all together. So it's it's really designed to be a very intimate and sweet kind of getaway. Um, you know, just a, a great place to stay and and explore. That sounds fantastic. I'd love it if you might share some of your writing with us. Okay. Let's see here. My goodness. Well, maybe I'll read a a quick 10-liner. This is, sometimes I like to write about, um, you know, like the, sometimes the complexity of being, of writing, you know, that sometimes writing does take us, you know, it, it, it's beautiful and and complicated, you know, when we have uh, an activity that can remove us enough from an experience that we can make commentary about it. Um, but also sometimes the danger is that we're so, we're, we're too far removed from, <clears throat> from the experience of something that we're, that we're kind of avoiding it. So um, let me just find this poem. I just was thinking this might be good. Uh, okay, so this is called Upstairs where the trouble is. And this is about kind of ignoring all the things that are happening in the house <laughs> while, while I'm writing. <clears throat> Sorry. Upstairs where the trouble is. A faucet's slow leaking torture. The hiss and hiccup of decaying radiators. A shower stall poorly set and the wall around it pockmarked with eroding tiles. I turn and head upstairs to the room reserved for the occasional guest. The soft, undisturbed bed, a sparsely filled closet, a single window opening to sky. If I wanted to disappear, I would move here, this quiet asylum nested away from each taunting disrepair. Months could go by, and there I'd be propped up on overlarge pillows, thumbing through adjectives building exquisite piles of paragraphs while the faucet still dripped 
and the radiators still flickered, and the walls kept crumbling. I wonder how long I'd last on this cottony island, how many pages I'd fill before I needed some trouble to save me. That's that. Mm, thank you. Mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, really about how, you know, wherever you go, there you are kind of feeling of like, um, I think that I do like a little bit of disruption. I think a little bit of disruption makes for great writing. I mean, it's, it's easier to write from a place of disruption and I don't, and I don't mean depression or sadness or, I mean, those can be, those are either easy or not to write from, but I just mean disruption where something is, is not even it's, um, it's cracked or it's, you know, there's fault lines in it. It's, those are, those are kind of very easy places to write from. Um, and sometimes the, the, the sort of pull of escape, um, you know, it only lasts so long before you want to be back in the, in the disruption. <laughs> so, because that's where, you know, that's where real life is happening. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it's that tension between being in something and being out of it and, and kind of at some point the grass becomes greener on the other side. You want to, you want to go back to where the, you want to go back to where the trouble is. You think, you know, you think you want to escape it, but you actually want to go back into it. Yeah. I would love to give you a chance to share some of your creative wisdom with listeners. Uh, something that you would like folks to take away um, or maybe remember about their creative selves? Um, I think that, you know, such an important part of creating and staying connected to creativity is, is being who you are, is, is owning who you are and embracing who you are. And so, um, and it's not just who you are, but it's how you, how you are and, and why you are and, you know, where you are. And so I think that, um, and I don't mean where as in geographically where, but like where, like where, you know, temperamentally or where creatively or where, um, emotionally, I mean, there's, I, I think this is ultimately about welcoming all of your, your, you know, beautiful frailties, um, and, and, and letting them be part of your personal expression, um, that there's nothing wrong. There's really nothing wrong with you. Um, there are things that agitate and, 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 uh, and call to you and they don't have to call to anybody else and it doesn't have to be meaningful to anybody else. But if, but if you don't, if you don't answer the call, um, you will feel that loss. And so I think this is about, I mean, the, any advice I might give or any sort of parting thoughts that I would have about creativity or, or writing or craft is, is, um, is to follow the thread that, calls to you. I mean, I talk to, um, you know, my writing students about letting the, letting the stories lead the way. And I think this is connects to that idea of, of, you know, when something's mattering to you, you are the one who, you know, it's a kind of demand. It's a kind of demand to pick it up and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to follow you there, whatever, wherever it leads, you know, and, so I think the, you know, I'm always struck by, you know, what, about really staying in tune with what matters to me, um, to try to tune other voices out saying, oh, that's not important, or you have better things to do, or, or, um, you know, if we're not answering that call, it's going to keep niggling at us. So 
the best thing we can do is to welcome um, welcome the part of ourselves that needs to be expressed and it needs to be um, investigating whatever whatever story um, or whatever creative act or whatever moment um, that we happen to find ourselves in where we need to recognize that as a as a kind of demand on our attention and to and to meet our gaze um, and meet it with our gaze so um, just to be mindful of what's calling to you and to pay attention and never diminish um, the small things that move you those are those are the beautiful gifts um, that we get and so we we have to we have to answer them we have to open them mm, so good mm-hmm You've got great questions, Sarah. <laughs> really making me meditate here. <laughs> <laughs> Maya, it's been so great having you on the show today. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, I'm just really grateful for your company. Thank you. If listeners want to learn more about you, they can find out about you and all your projects and your work at mayastein.com. You are listening to In Her Room, Women Writers on Life, Craft, and Changing the World. I'm your host, Sarah Blackthorne. I'm so glad you're a part of the In Her Room community. Without listeners like you, the show would not be possible. On our website, in-her-room.com, you'll find show notes, learn how to work with me, and have an opportunity to contribute financially to keep In Her Room on the air. Next week on In Her Room, we'll talk with writer and unschooling mother of two, Corinne Cunningham. I'm Sarah Blackthorne. Let's tell our stories together.